1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll visit with Ambassador Francis Rooney, formerly our congressman here in uh, the 19th District. He also served in the House of Representatives from 2017 to 2021. And as the ambassador to the Holy See from 2005 to 2008, we'll be talking about the Russian-Ukraine war entering a dangerous phase. And then Dr. Zudi Jasser is the president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander, and uh, just many other things. Terrific American, and we'll be talking about developments in the Middle East. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, uh, will be talking about his latest column in Newsmax. It is October the 21st and on this day in 1805, in one of the most decisive naval battles in history, a British fleet under Admiral Lord Nelson defeated a combined French and Spanish fleet at the Battle of Tragalfar, Uh, fought off the coast of Spain. At sea, Lord Nelson and the the Royal Navy consistently thwarted Napoleon Bonaparte, who led France to preeminence on the European mainland. Nelson's last and greatest victory against the French was the Battle of Tragofar, which began after Nelson caught sight of the Franco-Spanish force of 33 ships, preparing to engage the enemy uh, force on October the 21st, Nelson divided his 27 ships into two divisions and signaled a famous message from the flagship victory, England expects that every man will do his duty. In five hours of fighting, the British devastated the English fleet, uh, the enemy fleet, I should say, destroying 19 enemy ships. No British ships were lost, but 1,500 British seamen were killed or wounded in the heavy fighting. The battle raged at its fiercest around the victory, and the French sniper shot uh, Nelson in the shoulder and chest. The admiral was taken below and died about 30 minutes before the end of the battle. Nelson's last words after being informed that the victory was imminent were, Now I am satisfied. Thank God I have done my duty. Wow. Victory at the Battle of Tragophar ensured that Napoleon would never invade Britain. Nelson, hailed as the savior of his nation, was given a magnificent funeral in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. A column was erected... To his memory, in the new, newly named Traklavor Square, and numerous streets were renamed in his honor. All this in 1805. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis signed an executive order to extend deadlines for payments of property taxes at locations where that were destroyed or determined to be un, uninhabitable. The last thing I want is, you know, have someone loses their home and then they are getting hit by property taxes on a home that doesn't exist anymore. He said. The order applies to the FEMA counties designated for damage from Hurricane Ian and includes real property, personal homes, and commercial businesses. The governor plans to call a special session later this year for property tax owners to receive rebates on their property taxes. We want to make sure that we're doing all we can to clear the burdens that folks are dealing with when it comes to recovering from the storm, he said. He said, DeSantis noted that he does not have the authority to eliminate payments as governor, but said the order will buy the state legislature time to approve legislation during a special session this year. He didn't say when that will occur. In any event, uh, just uh, again, always in front of the curve there, Governor DeSantis taking action to relieve some of the financial burden from uh, Hurricane Ian. U.S. Representative Byron Donalds, uh, sent a message from our own district here, sent a message to California Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom, at uh, Florida's Voice Patriot Talk Show on Wednesday. There's a guy out there in California, Newsom, him, that guy, I want him to run for president, Donald said. Hey, Gavin, hey, Byron Donald's here in Florida. Hey, listen, man, trust me, you should run for president, he said to laughter from the audience. You know why? Because you would lose very, very badly. And the people of California, they need a break. It's nuts. But folks, the Democrats are awful. (laughs) Byron Donalds, again, staging a little bit and doing a great job. He also slammed Democrat Charlie Crist running for governor of the Sunshine State against incumbent uh, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis for flipping parties multiple times to run for office. The man was the governor of the state as a Republican, and now he's running as a Democrat. But in between, he ran as an independent, said Donalds. Crist is trying to fundraise and send people to their to a link to hear their story so they can send you $5 because nobody wants to give him money in normal times because you absolutely suck, he said. <laughs> he is the epitome of what people do not like about politicians. Earlier this month, shortly after Hurricane Ian ravaged Florida, Chris was asking victims for donations. On social media, the Democrat bidding for, to defeat Ron DeSantis in November is asking victims of Ian to share your story, Florida property insurance. If you paid thousands of premiums under uh, Ron DeSantis, only to have your home insurance coverage not be there for you when you need it most. We want to hear that story, he said. The link brings our users to Chris' campaign website, prompting potential victims of Ian to share hardships dealing with the tumultuous insurance and said, By the way, why don't you, the link takes him to his uh, website and says, why don't you make a donation? Unbelievable. During the hurricane, when people are suffering like that, he's, he's looking for bucks to support his campaign. Well, and, and also along with that, I don't know if there's a, any connection here, but Florida governor uh, candidate Chris campaign manager has left the campaign trail less than three weeks before the election. He left the high-stakes campaign to focus on a family matter, according to Chris's spokesperson. His uh, departure comes amid uh, falling poll numbers for Chris. Governor Sanders, has maintained a poll advantage over Chris, has extended his leads to double digits, according to a recent Sachs Media Group poll. Governor DeSantis is certainly going to win this election. What's, what's this Chris going to run on? Well, the political picture has gotten a lot worse for Senate and House Democrats since they left Washington three weeks ago, still feeling confident in their chances buoyed by getting a bold new tax reform and climate bill signed into law, and hopeful there would be voter backlash against the conservative Supreme Court and MAGA Republicans. But a New York times CNN poll published on Monday, shows that the independents and women are shifting to the Republican Party despite the spotlight Democrats have put on abortion rights and that Biden's low approval rating is a major headwind for Democrats. The survey found that 49% of registered voters nationwide said they would vote for a Republican to represent them in Congress, while 45% said they'd vote for a Democrat. It was conducted from October the 9th to 12th. And the gap just continues to widen as people become more knowledgeable about the candidates. Joe Biden on Thursday traveled to Pittsburgh uh, to deliver remarks on his administration's plan to fix the nation's infrastructure. He was greeted by Democrat U.S. Senate candidate John Fetterman, or a.k.a. Fetter woman as his handler, Giselle Fetterman, his wife. Uh, as expected, the Fetterman-Biden event was a complete dumpster fire. Biden couldn't even read his teleprompter. Fetterman didn't speak at Biden's stop in Pittsburgh, but he traveled to Philadelphia to uh, participate in a reception for John Fetterman. So again, <clears throat> Dr. Oz, oh, we can only help. Uh, hope we'll beat this guy. Who he's just uh, just not a good person. John Fetterman. Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett on Thursday rejected an emergency challenge by a group of Wisconsin taxpayers to the Biden administration's Student Loan Forgiveness Program. In one-sentence order, Barrett denied the request, preventing it from going to the full bench. She had uh, jurisdiction over the lower court in in this case. The Brown County Taxpayers Association urged the court on Wednesday to block President Joe Biden's national debt cancellation plan, saying it was illegal and encroaches on Congress's elusive exclusive power, uh, spending power. A U.S. district court in Wisconsin had previously ruled that the challenge lacked standing. A bid to halt the ruling uh, while a formal appeal plays out was rejected by the Intermediate Court's Appeals Court. This prompted the failed Supreme Court uh, bid to take the case. With the lower court's order intact, student loan forgiveness of up to $20,000 per borrower could begin on Sunday. So uh, in August, Biden announced the plan to cancel $10,000 in federal student loan debt for borrowers earning under $125,000. Unbelievable. My guess is she did this only because there are other cases that will follow that will perhaps have more standing than, the, than this uh, particular case. And not good to have a case that's going to fail because this is clearly crossing the lines of the power of the purse of the uh, legislature, the Congress <clears throat> Well, Prime Minister uh, Liz Truss resigned Thursday, bowing to the inevitable, often uh, after a tumultuous, short-lived term in which her policies triggered turmoil in financial markets and a rebellion in her party that obliterated her authority. Making a hastily scheduled statement outside her 10 Downing Street office, she announced and acknowledged that I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the conservative party. Hers is the third resignation by a conservative prime minister in that many years and leaves a divided party seeking a leader who can unify its warring factions. Trussie said she will remain in office for a few more days. While the process unfolds, has been prime minister for just 45 days, a month and a half. It's time for Nigel Farage to come to the rescue, in my opinion. Uh, Brexit leader Nigel Farage hinted at the potential political comeback on Wednesday evening, though following a dramatic evening in Westminster and the downfall of Liz Truss. Farage, who was instrumental in the downfall of two previous Tory prime ministers, suggested that he may be up for a uh, shot at the hat trick at, in his opinion, the Conservative Party is dead and it needs uh, replacing. If we're going to replace the Conservative Party, we need to build a new center-right movement that believes in the individual as opposed to big corporate, that uh, believes in national security as opposed to just time supply chains and all the things. What is uh, clear to me is that I absolutely could not do this on my own. In other words, he needs the support of major people uh, in uh, the uh, House of Commons and uh, uh, House of Lords, whatever it might be. He certainly needs support. He says he can't do it on his own. He needs a coalition And I think he's looking for that support right now. It would be great to see him come back. He was, in my opinion, a great leader in Great Britain. Well, uh, Michigan's top law enforcement official, uh, Democrat Attorney General Dana Nessel, uh, whose term expires in this year, is locked in a close race with Republican Mac DiPerno. She was drunk in an October thirtieth, 2021 uh, MSU-University of Michigan game where she had taken back her vehicle. She's taken back to her vehicle in a wheelchair. The completely lawless Michigan Attorney General later uh, made an official statement on her Facebook page. The statement was a mixture of uh, primarily bad humor about her unprofessional behavior as she sat hunched over in her seat in the uh, PAC stadium. Instead, her statement was filled with more jokes about her behavior than remorse. Attorney General, uh, General Dana Nessel forced her security detail to sign non disclosure agreements. Following the incident where they would wheel her to the ca- car, passed out drunk in the wheelchair, and then tossed her in the car for a ride home from the football game, uh, most many of them refused to sign the agreement. Said She <laughs> she said she had a skull-crushing hangover. Is this the person we want as Attorney General? Uh, she's uh, <clears throat> uh, not, <laughs> not a good candidate. In any event, uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples, longest established air conditioning company i hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. coming up uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with william yateman that and more right here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network
0: for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy their great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at Lulubees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulavy's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Forty-five, forty-one.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking, networking program. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting... ChoiceSocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Ambassador Francis Rooney. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. Tell us about the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation.
4: You bet. Uh, We're a nonprofit legal organization located across the country um, that defends Americans from government overreach and abuse
1: well certainly a worthy mission now william
4: <laughs> thank you
1: absolutely so uh let's talk a little bit about it. we're coming up to less than three weeks until the election and it looks like uh, biden is having difficulty finding people to support <laughs> because they don't want him around
4: well, indeed like uh, i guess uh, historically speaking he has not uh been hitting the campaign trail relative to his predecessors the immediate predecessors and uh the obvious reason here i believe or reported, obvious reason here, um, would be his low uh, r- approval ratings. I sure. mean, the fact is that the candidates on the trail don't want to run with him. Um, so it is uh, perhaps indicative of what is to come in the midterm elections. I mean, I'm low at the prognosticate, but it, it certainly doesn't look good for the president. And, and we've noted this a number of times before, historically speaking, the, the main factors a party's success coming into these midterm elections are, you know, the popularity of the president and the state of the economy. And on both counts, um, you know, the Biden administration is in some choppy waters. So, it, again, historically speaking, it does stand to reason that there's a shellacking in the works.
1: Absolutely. Uh, he did give a speech on gas prices this week. Uh, any any comments?
4: <laughs> yes, this, this, I mean, shoot. <clears throat> we've been doing these calls every Friday, the entire Biden administration. And I think this is at least the fourth such speech in which he's demonized the oil industry and blamed them for high gas prices. Um, So this one on Wednesday was just a lot of jawboning. He, in essence, uh, tried to command them to lower prices. (laughs) You know, uh, obviously, it's a bit more complicated than that. But this, uh, you know, appears to be the playbook. Um, you know, again, he's tipped in this very well three times before.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's emptying the Strategic Oil Reserve. He's asked the uh, Saudis to uh, hold off on any action until after the elections. <laughs> he seems—everything every, is politics. It has nothing to do with policy.
4: Well, it's not just, yes, all these, you know, it's obviously political moves. Um, unprecedented I, I might add I mean you know it, this is the first time that the president the eve of midterms um, has released oil from the strategic petroleum reserve solely to, to boost his political prospects um, but I'll note this it, you know we've got this sort of cosmic irony at play whereby he's lashing out at oil companies and he's taking all these extraordinary measures um, everything except for uh, uh, supporting domestic production you yeah. know, getting out of the way of our oil and gas industry uh, you know with all that red tape and whatnot So you know, it is—it's sort of a bonfire of the inanities, if you will.
1: Absolutely. Let's move to the courts. I understand the Fifth Circuit made a decision that's pretty important.
4: The the Fifth Circuit, indeed, yes, a very important decision. Uh, um, The long and short of it is that they found the uh, Consumer Protection Finance Bureau, or Consumer Finance Protection Bureau—I'm sorry—this entity that was created in 2010 by the Dodd-Frank Act. Um, in essence, to be unconstitutional due to its uh, very wacky funding mechanism, and yeah. by that I mean, whereas most agencies every year go to agency or go to Congress, um, you know, who are the nation's appropriators, uh, you know, pursuant to the Constitution, uh, they've got the, the the power of the budget. Um, uh, the CFPB has this system whereby. Their budget was whatever they wanted it to be, and they drew money directly from the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So uh, the court found this anomalous structure to be unconstitutional. Indeed, this is the, I, I should add here, the CFPB, this agency, um, this is the second time it, it's found to have constitutional problems in its short existence. And the Supreme Court, in a big case from, I believe, 2018, SELA Law, found that its leadership structure was unconstitutional. So... Uh, This agency, uh, which is a bit of a Frankenstein uh, 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 in terms of its authorities, I mean, Congress essentially cobbled together a bunch of different agencies, uh, sort of loosely related authorities in 2010 and put them all in the CFPB. Um, but it's fallen on hard times before the courts.
1: Well, about time. I must say the wheels of justice grind slow, but they grind fine. And uh, this is another case where it was pretty obvious from the very beginning when this law was passed that this uh, this uh, organization shouldn't exist in the way it was created. But finally, hear, ju- hear. Justice, is, justice is done. Uh, before I let you go, I wonder if you'd be willing to comment on uh, uh Supreme Court Justice, uh, Associate Justice Barrett yesterday, ruled that they they were, she had the authority to rule that the Supreme Court was not going to hear their case on uh, Biden's student loan forgiveness program. Uh, I wonder if you could give any thoughts on that.
4: You bet. This is not necessarily unexpected. So this is an emergency petition. It wasn't going to the Supreme Court through the normal route. Um, and uh, it was based. There's this issue of standing, which is that to be before a federal court. You've got to have what is known as a, a case or controversy, and this requires the party to have a, a, what legally we refer to as a concrete injury. Um, the, the concrete injury asserted by the plaintiff in this particular suit was based on something known as taxpayer standing. Basically, because we're a taxpayer and this is a terrible policy, we're harmed. Courts have long looked with a jaundiced eye at this very uh, sort of claim. Um, So kind of not unexpected here. And and frankly, we've got a number of suits out there, including the one that's being pursued by the Pacific Legal Foundation, where I work, that are based on different, more sound theories of standing. So uh, your listeners should rest assured um, the fight is still being taken.
1: That's good news, William. I'm happy to hear that. That's exactly what I thought. I figured there'd probably be stronger cases for the Supreme Court to look at. And as you pointed out, that's exactly the case. William Yateman, again, Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, is our website for Pacific Legal Foundation? You bet.
4: Well, we're, we're here at uh, pacificlegal.org.
1: pacificlegal.org. Always appreciate your commentary here on the show, William. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up we're going to visit with ambassador Francis Rooney. He represented us in Congress for several years from 2017 to 21, did some great work for the environment, and now he's got some comments about the Russia-Ukraine war. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Come back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. I hope you check out the website, creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Among other things, uh, the website is thefga.org. Coming up, going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Right now, we have with us Ambassador Francis Rooney. He represented us in Congress. He also served as ambassador to the Holy See. Uh, ambassador Rooney, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me back on, Bob. Always a pleasure, Ambassador. <laughs> so uh, you wrote a column about the uh, uh, the Ukraine Russia Ukraine war. It's entering a dangerous phase. I think it's titled if uh, if the Russians want a, a cold war, the world should give him one. Maybe you can tell us about it.
2: Well, is that trying to find a non-military solution to the to the conflict what uh, seems logical to me to to invoke the old containment policy, which uh, Truman and Dean Acheson, George Kennan created in, in nineteen forty eight. Uh, to contain the Soviet Union, you know, where we make it hard on them economically to to do the things that they seem to be wanting to do. And let's find out if the Russian people, uh, deprived of Western goods and higher standard of living that the fall of the Iron Curtain has brought them, uh, want to go back.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, and right now we've got sanctions against Russia and certain oligarchs and so forth. They seem to be not affecting too much what's happening in Russia, having a negative effect on us, quite frankly. How would what you are suggesting, uh, how would that change?
2: Well, I don't think we really know how it's affecting ordinary people in Russia, because Russia as you know, a totalitarian dictatorship, and it's all propaganda and controlled media. And, and But there have been a few outbursts of people that have criticized Putin here and there, but we really don't know mm-hmm. uh, if people are suffering. I mean, I, I thought we'd hear more from oligarchs than we have as they've lost their jets and yachts and all that kind of stuff, but we haven't.
1: Yeah. So uh, a lot of people say, you know, kind of make this as we've got to support Ukraine and uh, uh, Putin's got a black hat and uh, Zelensky's got a white hat. I'm not sure I see it in those terms. I'm not sure that Zelensky's necessarily a good guy or at least uh, not uh, crooked in some ways. But uh, he, he's also said that, you know what, I'm not, I don't, what I want is to overthrow uh, Putin. That was uh, his stated objective with this now at this point. How do we get someplace, how do we, uh, I, I agree with you, we've we got to have peace talks. How do we get to that point?
2: Well, you know, that's that's been the biggest disappointment to me is that there's been no orchestrated, at least publicly, there's been no orchestrated effort to have diplomacy play a role in trying to get us out of this thing now maybe there's something going on under the table but it doesn't appear that way Mm -hmm. and you know uh, if we're going to avoid putin going to tactical nukes as he continues to get run out of the ukraine um we're going to have to find some kind of compromise deal i don't know what it would be you know the old cuban missile crisis where we took the missiles out of russia or out of turkey uh six months after they pulled out of cuba was a pretty elegant solution, you know, and you see those things now and then. Uh, but I haven't heard any talk about what we might offer Putin uh, to have him save enough face to stop all this.
1: Yeah. Who has the standing in the world to be that di- diplomat? I'm not sure that Biden does. Uh, who, who in the world could p- perhaps bring these uh, people together in order to have peace talks?
2: Well, I, I would think it would have to involve the United States and the larger countries of Western Europe to be effective, that feckless, Ukraine versus Russia two-day summit didn't do any good, and Zelensky's not going to solve it anyway. We're going to have to the world's going to have to solve it for him.
1: Yeah, and yet the the war rages on. And uh, any comments at all about the amount of money that we've invested in Ukraine at this point, it's a billions, over 50 billion dollars that we put into the uh, into Ukraine, makes me first of all wonder what's happened to some of that money, or all of it, or and the weapons that we've sent.
2: Well, the only thing I would say is at least the money that we're spending on the Ukraine is going for jobs in the defense industry in the United States to build more weapons, unlike the rest of the money that Trump to a large degree and certainly oh, Biden has just spent on welfare and transfer payments and subsidies and paying people not to work, which I know that you're working to, to militate against.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, We've just spent so much money in this country, and it's, we're breaking ourselves.
1: I wanted to be, uh, just changing topics slightly, I wonder if you'd uh, share with our, our audience uh, your thoughts about serving as uh, the ambassador of the Holy See. You wrote a book about it. It was called The Global Vatican. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, the Holy See has a historically has had an important role to play diplomatically in the world, because they are kind of a neutral, impartial uh, entity with no territorial interest to protect. Therefore, they can... Exercise a sort of they sometimes they call it soft power and influence. And when they want to use it, I don't think they've used it as much recently or uh, as well recently uh, as Pope Benedict and, and Pope John Paul did. Uh, but when they do act, they can be very effective. When I was serving, we had a very strong partnership with the Holy See. Pope Benedict was willing to speak up against corrupt governments like Kabila and the Cargo or speak up against Ahmadinejad and criticize the, the situation in several countries in Latin America back then, particularly Venezuela. And, um, you know, they were very helpful to us.
1: Can they be helpful now in terms of what's happening in Ukraine?
2: I think they could be, but I don't think this pope has been. Yeah. I mean, he made a bunch of dumb comments here a while back that I also wrote an article about, basically buying into that uh, mantra that because we expanded NATO we egged Putin on and he's somewhat justified in reacting I think that's ridiculous yeah NATO's job is to promote Western democracy and protect Western democracies and that's what they were doing
1: I'd be uh, yeah, a lot of folks are saying you know what uh, the uh, uh, Pope right now is being is uh, aligning with the globalists which to me is is a uh, deleterious to the to the safety of the american people quite frankly what are your thoughts
2: well i i think this guy he's a latin american jesuit pretty well says it all he he comes from this liberation theology school down there that that is suspicious of the west certainly suspicious of the united states feels that we don't do enough for the underprivileged uh, in the world particularly latin america and africa and there's no, no amount that we could do for those corrupt countries because they're going to steal it all anyway.
1: And, which is ironic because he comes from a corrupt country in the first place. He's seen what happens with socialism, what happens uh, uh, when people garner power falsely. And uh, just I, I just can't understand why he's taking this position.
2: That's a very good point, Bob. But people never like to recognize their own faults. They like to point
1: the fingers at other people. That's a great point. Also, Ambassador Francis Rooney, again, uh, former congressman here in uh, uh, the wonderful Paradise Coast and also served as ambassador to the Holy See. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Uh, I had the pleasure of introducing uh, Ambassador Rooney. I was the uh, MC for one of uh, Trump's Early uh, rallies. This is actually was uh, just days before the election. It was just a thrilling experience for me. But uh, uh, Ambassador. Uh, uh Rooney was one of the speakers. It was really a lot of fun. And uh, quite frankly, a lot of people say there's so much hatred and so forth among the people who support Trump. They're uh, violent uh, extremists and so forth. I think it'd be further from the truth. That group, there's 15,000 people there. And uh, to listen to the everybody was happy, excited to hear Trump. The whole notion about bringing the country back uh, to the voters. That's exactly what the theme is, and people are excited about it. They're not violent and they're not extremists. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's the president of the Amer- American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's a former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. He has his own uh, radio or podcast show on Blaze Radio, Reform This, and he's the co founder of the Muslim Reform Movement and author of a great read. I've read the book. It's called A Battle for the Soul of Islam. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, now building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples, also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now and find out more. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser, as I mentioned before the break. He's the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's got his own podcast. It's called Reform This, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander, and uh, wrote a great book. It's The Battle for the Soul of Islam. Dr. Jasser, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
5: It's great to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me back.
1: Always a pleasure. I I was really looking forward to this conversation because we've seen so many interesting developments in the Middle East, especially the... uh, revolts and and riots in Iran and then what's happened with Saudi Arabia and the president. I wonder if you'd uh, be willing to make some comments on that.
5: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you cannot overstate the importance of what's happening in Iran. Uh, This started uh, with uh, the uh, murder by the government of a woman who had a hijab that uh, was uh, not placed correctly, according to the uh, hijab police that uh, grabbed her tortured her, and then ultimately she died uh, under their uh, arrest in in a hospital. And it then led to sort of a viral sweeping of uh, demonstrations in the street by many women demanding their rights to their own bodily autonomy. And, uh, you know, the context of this revolution is that, you know, now it's the third revolution in the last 10 years in Iran. 2009, you had the initial one during the Obama administration where uh, the, the workers in Tehran were revolting against the uh, government. Mm-hmm. And then with President Trump in 2019, uh, sort of the culmination of the maximum pressure campaign of Secretary Pompeo, uh, you had uh, revolts in the streets of the towns of the clerics, where the universities of the clerics were, and uh, they were beginning to revolt against them. And now you have the women's movement that is finally coming to fruition with uh, hundreds of thousands, and if not more, of women intermittently going to the streets, they shut off the internet in the past few weeks, they're beginning to use the same methods of their, uh, you know, their client Assad that Assad used in Syria. And there have been hundreds, if not thousands, uh, uh, tortured, injured, and and so many more in the past few weeks. And and the world really needs to pay attention because the, the regime in Iran is on its heels. And you, and what's amazing is that even more amazing than the Arab awakening over the 10 years since 2011, you have men standing side to side with women protesting the uh, control of women's bodily autonomy. And I, I think, you know, ultimately, uh, Iran can be moving toward. And, and if there's anything that people should be aware of as Americans is this is the safest way to move towards a non-nuclear or, a, a Iran that would never have nuclear weapons is if the regime actually falls from within.
1: Yeah, and, and certainly I don't know a lot about the situation, but one thing I'm sure is that the optics of perhaps a Revolutionary Guard shooting women or, or somehow taking, uh, t- taking uh, hostile action against women, I think, uh, would be absolutely brutal. I just can't imagine them, the, uh, them uh, actually really closing down this revolution in a way that created a lot of violence
5: and you know and and what's happening is that it's almost it happens despite what America does and uh, i think what's what's infuriating a lot of the activists is that we're supposed to be these are the values that we have which is uh um you know the liberty and and free expression and and uh, rejection of theocracy and yet the left has been appeasing the theocrats of Iran the The Democratic institutions or Democratic Party institutions in America have been ridiculously silent. The the Washington Post uh, and other uh, major arms of the Democratic Party have said virtually nothing uh, about this. And now they're complaining that the Saudis supposedly are are rationing up, uh, uh, um, holding back production because they're trying to control our elections, when in fact... What's happening is this is a world, this is a post-American world that's basically putting its, uh, uh, you know, uh, turning its 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 rear to the to the faith of America because President Biden has been so all in with the Iranians that the Saudis are saying, okay, you guys don't need us, then we we won't produce oil either. So it really has nothing to do with their fealty for Russia. The Saudis don't like the Russians. Uh, they've always been more in our sphere than in the Russians. They're so upset with with America and our siding with Iran and with the regime and the threat that has to Saudi that ultimately the geopolitics of it is, okay, fine, we're going to turn off the production, and you guys are so dependent on our oil anyway. So uh, let's see what you think.
1: You know, that's such an interesting point. I'd never thought about it in that, in that fashion, although it seems to me that the uh, Saudis are beginning to cozy up uh, with the Russians and and China, for that matter, uh, because of our behavior, and I, you know, it's so offensive that the president of the United States would make some sort of a threat uh, to the Saudis because they're unwilling to support his his uh, wish to have them hold off on these reduction of uh, production until after the elections.
5: Yeah, you know that almost proves the Saudis' point, right? Is that President Biden is so quick. To threaten the Saudis and to openly be belligerent yeah. with a royal family that I'm not a fan of either. I mean, the Wahhabi uh, Islamism for for years has radicalized our, our Western Muslim population, and I, I'm not, you know, a a fan of, of the the mafia system that is the uh, Saudi uh, royal family. However, you know, we have to look at what the threats are: a short term versus long term, and the short term threat is Iran. And Saudi's our friend right now, and it's not a binary thing of friend or enemy. And uh, when it comes to frenemies, uh, there is no friend aspect to Iran, that the only way to contain them and deter them is through maximum pressure. And alienating the Saudis who have long been our friend uh, is is not the way to do that and actually is not only backfiring – uh, no, the Saudis are not friends with the Russians. It's simply the fact that they they are so upset with the way we have handled their friendship that they're basically turning their back on our friendship. And that's it, full stop. It has nothing to do with any fealty they have for Russia or China.
1: Well, thanks for that clarification, Dr. Jasser. Again, uh, the book, a, Ma- a Bottle for the Soul of Islam, I highly recommend that as a read. Great insight into the faith of Dr. Jasser. And uh, also, uh, you you produced uh, a documentary called "The Third Jihad," uh, which is absolutely fantastic. I was just wondering if you'd be willing to comment on these things that have been happening regionally in in the in the Middle East and uh, with its impact on political jihad.
5: Yeah, you know, it's uh, everything when it comes to an interpretation of a faith that's still rooted in their 13th century uh, worldview where. It's not about freedom and liberty like the revolutions the West went through in the 18th and 19th century, but rather uh, a worldview of the land of Islam and the land of war. So if it's Muslim-majority countries, they're trying to make them into Islamic states. If it's non-Muslim, then they want to basically divide it into what's called the the land of war. And if they're so-called moderate, where they're not trying to engage in war, they call it the land of contract, where they sort of live in this, uh, a semi-piece of contract. So right now, even these Muslim-majority countries that might be considered our allies, Egypt or Saudi Arabia or, or whatever it might be, uh, they're not reformed as in uh, a modern uh, democratic liberal, classical liberalism, if you will, but they're still sort of guided by a jihad and sort of this caliphism where they want to, uh, you know, who the debate is over who's going to lead that caliphate. And you need to look no further than Turkey to understand where jihad is in the 21st century. Jihad, according to, according to Erdogan, who's running basically the Muslim uh, Brotherhood Party of Turkey, is about basically uh, uh, defeating the Western sense of democracy, imprisoning those who, who disagree with the regime of Erdogan. And Turkey is no longer democracy. Erdogan said as mayor of Istanbul, he said, democracy is like a train. You write it until you get to the place you want to go, and then you get off. And that's exactly what he's done in his last uh, 10 to 20 years uh, running Turkey. So, uh, you know, our third jihad is about this third sort of uh, permutation of uh, jihad in the 21st century. And a lot of it, uh, I'm sad to say, is coming to fruition, even though we did this documentary 12, 13 years ago. It, it could not be more relevant than it is today
1: especially with those open borders right now it's it's been somewhat of a quiet uh time in the united states with regard to uh, uh jihad and uh, with regard to violence and, and so forth but uh seems to me we're certainly certainly t- setting the table for more for more problems
5: yeah i mean europe uh, just look at europe europe accepted millions of refugees initially they you know, uh, there was little concern as Germany took in half a million or more and uh, and so many others. And now they're realizing folks that had ended up in their prisons after being let out three, four years later are committing acts of jihad as they coalesced into cells uh, that came together. So, no, there's no necessarily uh, a directly coordinated uh, uh, um, uh, emigration of ISIS and others. However, the ideology... Statistics show that ten to twenty percent of of Syrians and others that left the Middle East harbored uh, sympathies for the ideas of the Muslim brotherhood uh, isis Hamas etc so those folks if they happen to come together and have nothing else economically to to live for or otherwise are are basically going to uh, commit acts of jihad and and be part of the uh, agency against the west so this is the reality of what happens when immigration is done uh, blindly without any ideological filters.
1: Dr. Zudi Jasser, again, the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. The website is aifdemocracy.org. aifdemocracy.org. Also, the podcast, Reform This, available on iTunes. Again, Dr. Zudi Jasser, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, and author of many books. We're going to be talking about one of his columns. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Blue Provence is one of only 97 restaurants worldwide to receive Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award, and they've received it for the eighth consecutive year. Blue Provence Restaurant is temporarily closed for renovations due to damage from Hurricane Ian, and they look forward to serving you again in the near future. In the meantime, you can enjoy their Grand Award-winning wine list with unbeatable prices on more than 2,500 wines by visiting Blue Provence Fine Wines, at 1234 8th Street South, Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Check out the vast wine selection by visiting Blue Provence on Facebook or visit the easy-to-browse website, blueprovencefinewines.com. Visit blueprovencefinewines.com, or if you need help, you can call Jacques directly at 239-821-6772. You have questions about your retirement?
0: Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture, the author of a dozen books or so, uh, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read. He also writes a column several times a week, For Newsmax.com, it's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us.
3: And Bob, thank you so much.
1: Always a pleasure, Professor. Now, your latest column in Newsmax is Beijing election, which just occurred, has major consequences for the United States. Maybe you could tell us about it.
3: Yeah, Bob, uh, we're all aware the midterms are coming up uh, very rapidly, and A lot of concern and angst about that, and although it's looking much more encouraging for Republicans now. But there's also a major, can't really call it an election, more of a coronation in China for Xi Jinping for his third five-year term as as leader of China, and uh, very likely his uh, permanent term in China as a a, uh, lifetime leader. And we have to wonder, you know, what the what the implications of that are in terms of you know, I wonder, for example, whether uh you know, the the concern about Taiwan and, and uh what's having the South China Sea and so on, whether with the coronation election, whatever you call it, over, whether he will then well then put some wind in his sails and basically give him the uh authority to move forward. he, he gave it Quite fairly lengthy talk. He was about an hour and a half uh, in China on the occasion of his of, of the meeting of the Congress, and it was mostly about domestic matters. But he, he made it clear that he uh, does plan to uh, to integrate uh, uh, Taiwan as part of China. They have a sense of ownership, so. That's one of the issues as uh China builds up as military as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, at the same time our military doesn't have the strength that it had under the Trump administration.
3: Well we've been losing we we've been losing uh uh some traction. Uh one thing we've we've got inflation, which is just like it's hurting American budgets, also hurting military budgets very very dramatically and uh Trump gave a little bit of a, his administration gave a little bit of a boost to uh, military budget, but uh, Obama that was really trying to compensate for neglect during the Obama years, and uh, now with uh, recruitment problems in the army and and also in, in the other forces and and, and uh, equipment equipment uh, needs both Air Force and Navy. As uh, China builds up, it's it's rather ominous.
1: It's very ominous indeed. And in fact, uh, of course, another part of that is not only the hardware, but also the the woke approach that we have right now in our military. We're seeing the reduction in the in the in the forces. You know, having people uh, to leave the military because they're refusing to get a jab. This makes no sense at all.
3: Well, and it's also it's a concerning time because of. Uh, What's happening in Ukraine and with Russia, and in and the, and the notion—maybe more than a notion—that with Putin backed in a corner in Ukraine, things not going so well. You know, the nuclear sword's being rattled, and uh, and we hear that you know our own government is buying iodine pills, and we have a president that's talking about nuclear Armageddon. So, uh, you know, these are these are very uh, you know. Tr- concerning times and uh certainly in the notion of having not only a strong military but the determination that uh that we're going to use it is you know if if necessary as as a uh, to discourage those who are allied against us um has always been a foregone conclusion i think and uh, and again, it's not only a nuclear war, but it also we think of cyber war and knocking on energy grids and that sort of thing that puts us at a time where we really need and want a sense of strong leadership, which I think is anything but what you know we currently believe in this country.
1: Certainly is. And, uh, you know, right now, again, uh, the whole notion, the, the, the rumor has always been that after this coronation, as, we, as we're labeling it now for the Chinese leader, that uh, he, this will solidify his position and power in order to take over Taiwan, to bring, you know, the one country th- theory back and uh, uh, take uh, military action in order to, to accomplish that. That was the rumor. And now this has happened. What are your thoughts? Is it going to happen?
3: Well, I think it's it's partly a concern about military, and we have uh, there's so many moving parts to this right now. We have Russia selling, of course, the uh, Europeans are, are uh, figuring how they're going to get through the winter. I think you know, Americans should think about the same with shortages of natural gas and so on, and they realize they can't rely on uh, Russia to... Compensate for their building all these wind turbines and solar panels that haven't really been very effective, and uh, we should learn the same thing. But you have all this turmoil with China being really the, in a sense, the beneficiary of being Russia's big customer for natural gas. The only thing that's limiting right now is they don't have really the the pipelines to to uh, Russia that to China, from China you know to Russia that mm-hmm. they need. So, so you've got all this uncertainty about, uh, about oil. We have a compromised administration that, and so much of it, I think, hinges on oil. Uh we have this compromised administration that went pleading to OPEC plus and, and Russian allies to, to, to pump more oil to get them through the election cycle midterm. And they got the middle finger from, OPEC and most particularly from Saudi Arabia and their compromise with regard to desperately wanting to do a deal with Iran, again, nuclear deal.
1: Yeah.
3: And, and the, you got them going to Venezuela for a while and everything but pumping our own energy. But China also has weaknesses. They have food shortages, chronically, because they have. What, 1.3 billion people or so that to have to feed, and they have energy shortages. Where they again also depend on Russia, and uh, meanwhile, we have lots of oil under our feet that we don't pump. Yeah, and and we got we got China buying up a lot of our agricultural land. So, so you know, I think they're playing again. You know, the old adage: they're playing chess while we're playing maybe
1: tic-tac-toe at best. At best, indeed. Again, Professor Larry Bell, I encourage you to visit Newsmax.com and check out Professor Bell's column, On Point. Uh, Also, uh, his latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Terrific read. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah,
3: Bob, I really enjoy it. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly uh, learned a lot today. Uh, I hope you join us on Monday. We'll visit with Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, also historian Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of several novels, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers This show would not be possible without their support. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.